You're listening to Forecast, the marketing podcast for professional services leaders. If you're looking to generate more leads, win more deals, and take your firm to the next level, this show is your shortcut. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Ahmed Munawar, founder and chief marketing officer at Boutique Growth, where we help professional services firms build actionable marketing plans so they can generate more leads and win more business. I've got Jonathan Stark here on the show today, author of Hourly Billing is Nuts. Take a guess at what this episode's about. Look, many of you do bill by the hour, and maybe that makes sense for you based on where you are in your business or the industry that you work in. But my hope is that in this interview, Jonathan is going to convince you that there is a better way to do things. And then if you're selling by the hour, you're selling both yourself and your clients short. Now, if you're somebody who can't even imagine a scenario in which you could not bill hourly, then I really would encourage you to keep an open mind here because Jonathan's going to share some ideas in this interview that could very well change the way that you look at things. The show notes for this interview are over at forecast.fm slash value. Before I let you go, if you haven't yet joined us inside our free course on lead generation for professional services firms, you're going to want to check that out. Inside the course, I will show you a proven five-step process to generate a flood of new business for your firm. Best of all, the course is 100% free of charge and you can get immediate access at 5leadgen.com. You can spell out five or use the number. Either one works. That's 5leadgen.com. Dot com. Here's Jonathan. Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So let's get started with why is the idea of hourly billing nuts? You know, that's the title of your book. So I want you to kind of <laughs> kick this off by, by, by making the case. If I'm billing by the hour, why am I out of my mind? Okay, sure. I will give you a few reasons that I think people will find familiar and I think a little bit persuasive, hopefully persuasive. So the first one is that hourly billing misaligns the direct financial incentives between you and your clients, which is to say that the longer something takes you to do, the more money you make, the better it is for you and the worse it is for the client. So the problem with this is that it creates trust fractures that will erode the relationship over time if your estimates aren't accurate. So if you do an hourly estimate for someone and you say it's going to be $10,000 and then, you know, they, you invoice them in arrears weekly or monthly and they start to get, you know, creep up to that $10,000 mark and they can see that clearly the project is not done, at least not to their satisfaction, then they're going to start to turn into a micromanaging monster, AKA client from hell, because they feel like things are getting out of their control and they will start to suspect that you are maybe not padding your hours, but they'll su suspect that perhaps the, you know, either you're incompetent at doing estimates or maybe not so great at doing your job or whatever it is. But as they see the amount of money that they have paid start to approach and then potentially exceed the estimate that you provided to them, they are, I've never never seen a case where they were happy about that. <laughs> Let's just say right. when a client sees an estimate, they read it as the price because they have to make a pricing decision based on your estimate. Yeah. When in fact, you've never given them a price, you give them an estimate and it doesn't matter if you put it in blinking lights, they still hear it as the price. Yeah. Nobody likes overages, but what if I'm good at controlling my hours? What if I'm really good at making those estimates and I always come in kind of on budget or under budget, then mm -hmm. is it still so bad? Uh, it's bad for you, but we can get to that. That's actually coming up. Okay. So 
Yes, good let's, instinct. Let's get to that. And so I, I get why it, it can be bad for the client because they're overpaying. But for me, you know, assuming I'm happy with my rate and I'm making a decent money, then what's wrong with that? Because you could be making a lot more working a lot less by delivering more value to people in less time. So if you're happy with it, then there's no reason to change. If you're happy, don't change. If you are not happy and you have found yourself, as so many people do, after you know a few years of successful hourly billing, you will find yourself trapped around $140,000 a year of income. You, it's really hard to get past that. And if you're comfortable with, you know, working 40 hours a week and, and making about $140,000, $150,000 a year, then great. You're good. But if you want to break through that ceiling, you can't do it with hourly. You can't do it with straight hourly. You, in, in order to break through that ceiling, you either have to work more than 40 hours per week. Uh, you have to dramatically increase your rate, which usually will make it very difficult to close deals because of the psychology of an hourly rate. Or you need to multiply your hands, as I call it, by hiring probably four to six junior of whatever you do. So inexperienced versions of you uh, to bill them out by the hour and mark up their hourly rate. And that's that usually the third approach is the one that I see most people taking, which is fine if you want to manage a team. But if you don't really want to manage a team, you're really just trying to break through that hourly ceiling, then that's a bad approach because you're going to be a bad manager and it's going to be bad for your business. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the fairly typical building a firm approach, right? Hire cheaper labor at a lower hourly rate uh, that can do the at least the simple work that you used to do and reserve the partners or the firm leaders for the, the, the more expensive work. Yeah, but what ends up happening is the usually, not always, but in a lot of cases, what ends up happening is the lead person, the founder, the original person ends up just being a manager and not really, you know, doing that much billable work at all. And again, if you want to be a manager and build a team in that way, then more power to you. But for people who see that as their only option to grow through and get past that hourly ceiling, uh, there's another way, which is by ditching hourly. Because the, the problem that you're trying to solve, it's kind of like you're you know putting a Band-Aid on a broken arm. Sure, yeah. Now, we, we haven't introduced value pricing yet in this conversation, but just while we're on this topic... Building a firm and, and wanting to build a team and to go that route, it doesn't preclude going the value pricing model, does it? No, not at all. It seems to make it trickier in people's minds. When I work with people who have employees or contractors that they work with on a regular basis, I get a lot of different sorts of questions about how to trans to migrate to value pricing from hourly billing because they usually their firm is even more infected with hourly billing than a solo operator would be. Right. So there are internal systems that don't, pretty much anybody who's running a firm billing by the hour has multiple internal systems that are focused directly on the assumption or based directly on the assumption that there's this notion of hourly billing. So you might have set up time tracking systems that feed straight into your invoicing system, that feed straight into your reporting system, that feed straight into your bonusing systems. And all of this stuff presumes that people are trading time for money. So it's harder for people in a situation like that to picture anything else because it has really permeated so much of their decision-making process for such a long time. And I, what I'm saying is basically throw all that stuff out, not at once, but get away from all of that stuff. And it's, I find it's harder for people to do when they have a lot of systems built up around the concept of hourly. 
Yeah, because you're you're billing your clients hourly, which is one thing, but then you're also likely paying out your consultants, even if they're salaried, you kind of peg them at an hourly rate. And that's likely how you're measuring profitability, right? The spread between what you're billing your client and what you're paying out your staff, that's where you make your money. When you remove one of those from the equation, all of a sudden, people have a hard time measuring how profitable they are. So what do you do then? So first thing, I reject the premise of the question, which is that you shouldn't be basing your pricing on your capability for measuring profits. So the idea that billing by the hour is the only way to measure profitability or that you should even worry about that during pricing is dubious proposition. But okay, let's say that you can't get your head out of that. How am I going to measure profitability for a project that isn't or for the business overall if we're not billing by the hour? So let me turn that around and ask you, why would you be measuring profitability like what decisions are you going to base on that information? Are the clients that I'm working with right now profitable? Are the projects profitable? Am I actually making money? And is this generating a return for the firm or for the owners? And what would you do based on that information? Would you fire the clients perhaps or? Or do different yeah. types of work or raise your rates, one of the above. Mm-hmm. So the idea of working on value projects is that you work with companies or you strive to attract companies who benefit the most from whatever skills you possess. So whatever it is that you do, whatever service you provide or or productized services or straight up products, you want to focus them or attract folks who are going to benefit the most from those things. And when you do that, the idea of tracking profitability at a granular level, like per employee or per project becomes sort of silly. So if you imagine getting paid uh, $10,000 for a one-day workshop, or if you imagine getting paid $200,000 for work that is essentially, you know, going to take 10 hours a week, you know, something that if you could make $200,000 per project that you could run 10 of those projects at the same time, the idea of tracking your profitability at a really granular level is just like a waste of time. It's silly you know it's profitable because you've dramatically increased the value that you're providing to clients. Therefore, your prices can be much higher and you end up with effective hourly rates that are in four figures, which you could never often, not all the times, but often you end up making, you know, a thousand dollars an hour, $2,000 an hour. So the idea of tracking it becomes, it's just pointless. So I'll tell you a little story. When I first realized that the way I realized hourly billing was nuts was that I was working at a company where it was a small firm. We did dev work and we had about 10 developers and it occurred to me, it came up that we were like, huh, we might have to lay someone off. We haven't got a ton of work, whatever. Who would we lay off? And we had one guy who I'll call Fred. He was easily our best developer. There was no question. He was great. And we paid him the most money of anyone. And he finished his work super fast. And we we would almost have a hard time keeping him busy because he would burn through work so fast. On the other end of the spectrum, our most junior guy made almost exactly half of what Fred made. So like Barney's making half of what Fred makes. He takes a long time to do his work, but he's got a great bedside manner. Clients love him. They're very happy with his work. Perfectly happy, in fact. And I was like, we would have to get rid of our best guy if we were going to get rid of someone because we're practically losing money on him. 
because we can't, because the, the work that he's doing, he's doing so fast, he's completing it so quickly that we can't make any money off him. Hmm. And this is where I, I wrestled with this for weeks. And finally, I realized that the problem was that we should, if we were billing him, well, I didn't realize value pricing immediately, but I realized that hourly billing was causing the problem. In fact, it was the root, just about every problem that we were having at the firm was because we were billing by the hour. All I did all day long, you know, as the VP, all I did all day long was like whipping developers, get your hours in, making sure they were on the invoices, making sure the invoices were going out, fighting with customers about why the database import, you know, two hours this week and it only took an hour last week and eating hours and writing down hours and hours, hours, hours. When really what we were doing for customers, we were sort of forcing them to measure it in hours and price it in because we were, we were billing them hourly like a taxi cab might. When really what we were doing was delivering an outcome to their business and our, our best developer in that model would have crushed it because he could be delivering amazing work that was really moving the needle for our clients in an extremely short amount of time. So we could say something like, you know, hey, Fred, you know, you can here's what needs to be done in this project. As soon as you're done, you can go on vacation. And I wouldn't have cared. I would have happily paid his salary. And just but go ahead, do it. It doesn't matter. It changes the way you think about profitability and it changes the way you work, changes the way you interact with your clients. It really changes everything. Yeah, it's funny. When you mentioned eating hours, I had all these haunting memories come back to me from my days at the big accounting firms. I used to be at Ernst & Young when I was a CPA. And that was the big issue back then is you had these budgets and we used to work in audit. We had these budgets for each engagement and you had like a really, really fixed number of hours you had to spend on every section of the file. And a lot of times that was just kind of inherited from the prior year. And, you know, if you exceed that budget, I mean, that's putting your career on the line effectively, right? <laughs> Nobody wants to exceed the budget when apparently they did it for a certain number of hours last year. And so you pretty much have no choice but to eat hours. Like that's the entire model is aligned so that you will eat hours if you go over time. You're not going to honestly report your hours if you go over. And that obviously creates all kinds of problems. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you go down the rabbit hole of hourly, really, if, you, if you've done it at all, any kind of long term basis, you realize how much fiction is going on. And I'm not saying people pad their hours, but it's fake. Like the, your hourly rate is fake. It's a number that you made up and you don't even adhere to most times. Because there are things that you do that you don't bill for. Oh, you know, uh, that was education. I was researching something. I can't bill them for that or whatever it is. There's like this sort of or, you know, like eating hours. The customer's really mad. It's going to take me two hours of fighting with him to get him to see things my way. Maybe it's easier if I just eat one hour and you end up sort of backing your way into an ultimate price in the most painful way possible for you and the client instead of sort of, I want to say, sticking to or acting like an adult, acting like a professional and saying, look, this is how much this thing's going to cost. This outcome that you want is going to cost this much. And you give them a price and stand by your price and deliver the value, <laughs> you know, deliver positive ROI. And guess what? If you can do that faster, they'll be happier because nobody, I've never heard anybody say, oh, could you take a little longer on this project? doesn't happen. <laughs> Everybody wants things done yesterday, but that's a penalty for you if you're billing by the hour. Yeah. I mean, put yourself in the client's shoes in the end, right? I, I recently have been talking to a lot of video production teams and, you know, cause we do a lot of video work for our clients. And so I, I bring in some, some video teams to help out with the production and the editing and so on. And I've had, you know, 
a lot of firms come in and say, oh, well, this is our hourly rate. <laughs> and we expect this project to take, you know, somewhere from this amount of time to this amount of time. Here's your range, right? And mm. then I've got, you know, this is definitely the minority, but it, it does happen. I've had firms come in and say, here's how much this project is going to cost. This is the figure. We're going to deliver mm. this for this amount and you're good to go. Now, guess mm. which firm I have more, more trust in as a result of that. There's no, I mean, it's the way you buy everything. It's, there's no comparison. It's like walking to a sandwich shop and saying, oh, you know, how much for a pulled pork sandwich? And they said, oh, 60 bucks an hour. <laughs> like, what if the airlines charge you retroactively $4 a minute for a flight? Oh, how much is it can, to fly from Boston to San Francisco? $4 a minute. <laughs> okay, well, how many minutes is it going to take? We're not sure. It's usually about this many minutes. But if there's any sort of trouble or weather or you miss your plane or layovers or delays, then it'll be more. But we don't really know. Yeah, I guess billing by the hour is kind of like saying in the airlines case, it's like saying, well, if, if we don't finish or you don't want to, you don't want to complete the project, jump out of the plane in the middle of, of the yeah, it, Well, it, it's not that much different. Think about it. Think about the trap you're putting the client in. If you, you say, okay, we are $30,000 into what was supposed to be a $40,000 project or $40,000 estimate. We're probably only halfway done. They've got really two choices. They can't use the software in any way until it's done. So they're like, okay. We can just kill the whole project and lose the 30 grand or we can roll the dice and hope that it doesn't go more than 70 grand total. So, you know, 30 grand over budget and be at basically the same place. But at least we achieve the goal. It's a trap for them and for you. It's so difficult. The thing for me after I left that firm and I started my own firm and, and did not bill hourly anymore, I realized that all of a sudden I could deliver customer satisfaction where before I couldn't. It's because it changes the whole nature of the engagement. You know, you're like, you're forced to have a conversation up front with the client about what it is they want to achieve. Otherwise, you don't know what to do. They can't just tell you what to do and then you do it and expect that not to, you know, have be a scope creep nightmare, basically. It's like, hey, we want you to do this and we want you to do that. And then after that, do the other thing. And then you do it and then they're like, yeah, we want you to do some more stuff now. And the reason why that happens so often, especially in hourly, is because you can start on an hourly project without knowing what the goal is. Say, so here's this list of tasks. Go do it. What's your rate? I'll charge you $100 an hour to do that list of tasks. Okay, fine. That sounds reasonable. Of course, that's absurd but because you, they still don't know how much it's going to cost. But for some reason, that sounds reasonable to clients. You go off and do it. You get to the end. And they realize that their unstated business goal has not been achieved. Then say, you know what? We should have told you in advance the goal of what we're trying to do here is, you know, I don't know, increase our brand repute or decrease customer service phone calls or increase conversions on mobile. They don't just volunteer that. They keep driving the bus. They say, let's see, here's what. They're not really driving it. They're in the backseat telling you where to go. So now you're driving the bus not knowing where you're going. And they keep driving. They keep telling you, no, try over there, try over there, try over there. If you just stopped at the very beginning and said, what are you trying to achieve? Why are you even considering writing a big check to me? You don't want me to do these tasks. You think these tasks are going to lead to some outcome. So just tell me the outcome and I'll give you a price for the outcome. And if I know a shortcut, I'll do it. We'll get us there faster. As long as quality doesn't suffer, it'll, I'll get you there faster in less time. And we don't have to worry about timesheets. We don't have to worry about billing and arrears. We don't have to worry about invoices. It's like a dream. 
Yeah. No, I love this idea that you mentioned earlier about just kind of being an adult about it, right? Cause what, now that I'm thinking more about it, this idea of hourly billing and just kind of, you know, by default, getting into these hourly agreements where I do these tasks, it's like, I have this time, right? Maybe this time is worth something to you. What can I do in this time? It's almost childish, very amateur, isn't it? Oh, it's extremely, yeah. You're throwing up your hands and saying, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. You know, really, it, it takes a certain level of, it does make you vulnerable. You know, it, it opens you up to risk. But I feel like it's, first of all, the risk that as a professional, you should be taking. You know, if you're getting hired by a pizza place to build their website and you're a web developer, they shouldn't have to tell you every single thing that needs to be done. They're an expert at pizza, not HTML. <laughs> so you should say to them, look, you guys are experts at pizza. I'm an expert at building whatever WordPress sites. You tell me what you're trying to achieve with this website, and I will bang it out so fast to make your head spin. I'm confident that I can reasonably ensure reaching certain measurements that you may want to measure about your business. So maybe that's something like increased number of walk-in traffic or a place to present coupons that get some sort of redemption. But they're running a business, and they want to get some sort of business outcome from hiring you, obviously. But if we don't ask them those questions and find out what's going to satisfy them, how do we even know what to do? And why, as a professional, would you let them tell you? It'd be like walking into a doctor and, and saying, Doc, I need a triple bypass. And, then, and the doctor's saying, sure, jump up on the table. Let me go get my scalpel. <laughs> okay, where do you want me to make the incision? Oh, probably right. I don't know, right here probably? That seems like a good place. Yeah. It's it's totally absurd if you think about it at all, but it's just not the way anybody does it. it well, not, not nobody, but most people seem to just, they get frustrated at their day job. They say, you know, forget these people. They're not paying me enough. I could do this on my own. I'm going to go freelance doing this skill that I've established for myself. And that's basically it. And they're like, okay, how do I do this? And then they just act like, like they're still an employee, really. You know, tell me what to do. So let me ask you this. How did this become the norm culturally in the professional services world? I mean, you mentioned before, you know, if I go and you know, if I want to buy an airline ticket or I go to a pizza place or if I go to buy, buy a pair of shoes, I don't ask how long it took you to make it. I pay what it's worth. So right. why are we so stuck to this model of professional services? How did that happen? It's kind of hazy how it happened. It's supposedly spawned out of a particular, I think it was a judge, a particular person's mind in... I'm going to say like the early 1900s, although I'm probably getting that wrong, but it spun out of the legal profession. And it was essentially, to me, it looks like trying to apply scientific management principles to professional services. So this sort of industrial revolution thinking, you know, the Henry Ford thinking that you need to optimize the conveyor belt, you know, optimize the line. Mm. We need to have some sort of consistent unit of value, some sort of consistent measure. What are we going to measure? And so they looked around and they said, well, you know, we could measure our time. And since it's easy to measure time, they're like, all right, something's being measured. But it doesn't make it, you know, if you think about it, you, they could have picked a lot of different things. Instead of time, they could have picked number of lines in a contract, number of characters in the contract. A designer could charge based on the number of pixels in the design. None of these make any sense. It's like, it's like pricing a house based on the number of inches it took to create it. It doesn't even make sense. Yeah, I think you're onto something with the law firms because I've noticed that when I get questions about, hey, what's your hourly rate? It's almost always from the law firm. They're the ones that ask that question the most because it's so, that's so entrenched into the way that they do business. They almost don't understand anything else. 
yet they hate it. Yet they hate it. <laughs> they yeah. gripe about it all the time. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a nightmare from a culture standpoint inside people hoarding hours. And it's just crazy. It's crazy what it does to the firm. And what you, I mean, obviously I'm being a dead horse here, but just stepping back and saying, look, client, I recognize that here's this list of things that you want me to do, but what are you trying to achieve with these things? Why not just not do them? Is there any good reason to actually do this stuff? And it almost feels like when you sort of do have what I call a why conversation, it almost feels like you're trying to talk the client out of working with you or even doing the project at all. And what that does is it gets everybody talking about the business outcomes that they think that these tactics are going to result in. So they say, oh, we need you to make our form fields three pixels bigger. Okay, why is that? I can definitely do that. I'd be happy to do that for you. Uh, but why do you want that done? Well, because they're too small to, you know, it's too small for my fingers. What do you mean they're too small for your fingers? Well, the, you know, when I go on our, our own website, I, I can't even enter my own name in the, the sign-up form. Oh, okay, so there's some sort of mobile usability problem here? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that, who cares? Like, does, is that impacting your business? People can still go to their desktop machine. Well, they could, but, you know, our traffic on mobile is skyrocketing and it, it's dropping off on the desktop. So, you know, our conversion rate for signups on the phones is abysmal. Oh, okay. So what you're really trying to do is increase the signup rate. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. We're trying to get more people on our list. Okay, great. That's a completely different conversation than, yeah, I can make the form fields three pixels bigger. Yeah, and one is obviously worth more than the other. Or it isn't. You might find that their reason for contacting you in the first place is misplaced. So it might be, oh, you know, my brother-in-law said the form fields were too small for him to read. Yeah, I would say, well, who cares what your brother-in-law thinks? You'd be like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know, it, <laughs> it could be that you find there's no value or there's not enough value in the project for it to make sense for the two of you to engage in a business relationship. It can happen. It does happen. You know, a company is just too small and the project just requires too much work and the, the outcome for them because they're a small you know, client or they can't capture the benefits. It can be that you're like, oh, I'm not a good fit. You know, let me let me put you in touch with someone who might be a better fit. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, Jonathan, this has been really, really insightful. Where can somebody to go to learn more about value pricing and how they can make it work for their business? Best place would be to go to valuepricingbootcamp.com and sign up for a free five-day email course that I put together that goes into this stuff in more detail and it and will point you in all sorts of directions for additional resources. Awesome. We're going to have a link to that page in the show notes to this episode at forecast.fm slash value. Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been great. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey folks, Ahmed here again with a quick recap to the conversation. We spent a lot of time talking about the problems with an hourly billing model here, and we didn't really get into the mechanics too much of value-based pricing. I'm okay with that because you ultimately need to be convinced that hourly billing is a problem before you'll care much about the solution. And if you really do want to give value-based pricing a go, you can grab Jonathan's free email course, and I'll drop a link to it in the show notes at forecast.fm slash value. Now, if you're a new listener and you haven't yet subscribed to the show, do me a favor, head over to forecast.fm slash iTunes, subscribe 
subscribe there so that will show up in your feed. And if you've been listening for a while and you like the show, do me a favor, leave us a rating and a review because it helps more people discover the show and I would be very, very happy and who doesn't want to be happy, right? Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.